Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A warning before we get started on this week's episode of the Crime Stoppers Victoria podcast. This episode contains some potentially distressing topics including family violence and child abuse that might not be suitable for some people. Welcome to the Crime Stoppers Victoria podcast. I'm your host, Ella Gavildis. This is the fourth and final episode in the four-part series, First Responders Australian Stories, highlighting stories from first responders across many of the different agencies in Victoria working to keep us safe. In this episode, we're taking a look at the people who choose to take on one of the most mentally challenging jobs in emergency services, protecting children from abuse and harm. It's true that crime against the most vulnerable can often be the most difficult to process. And in this episode, we'll hear from the people working to keep our children safe. My name is Sean Lavori. I'm 43 years old and I've worked with Victoria Police for just on 20 years now. Detective Senior Constable Sean works for the Joint Anti-Child Exploitation Team, which, like many police task forces, is often referred to by its acronym, JACKET. Jacket is made up of Victoria Police members and AFP members, Australian Federal Police, whose role is basically to investigate cases of online child exploitation, as well as working within the online world to reduce child exploitation offences. The most rewarding aspects of my work is being able to rescue children from some unimaginable environment that they've been put in. Seeing them get to um, help they need is extremely rewarding. I know being a parent myself that somebody needs to be doing this type of work. It's not for everyone. Even other police members often say to me, I don't know how you can do it. But for me, the reward is, like I said, rescuing the children from harm outweighs the negative impacts of the job. Sean and his colleagues have a challenging role, not only in the nature of the offending, but also the scale. Many of the offenders he looks to apprehend operate over the internet, meaning that he's helping to protect victims across borders. Operation Seagirt involved an offender committing offences within Australia Philippines, Singapore and Indonesia against 47 victims over a 15-year period. The offender was sentenced to 35 years imprisonment, which is the largest non-mandatory sentence ever handed down in Australia. It's an example of how the Jacket team is dedicated to ensure that these perpetrators are brought to justice in Victoria. Regardless of the time and distance, we do everything in our power to ensure that the offenders are presented before the appropriate court and that the victims are protected, supported and justice is served for them. And Sean says he and his team never really know what they'll find when they start investigating. One instance saw us attend an address to execute a search warrant for what we thought was possession of child abuse material. 
Whilst executing the search, we identified that the offender had himself been contact offending against a child in his care for over a three-year period in his home. We had to immediately reassess our initial plan to re-ensure the victim was safe, whilst also ensuring the crime scene was thoroughly processed and the offender interviewed. It's an example of us having to walk into each investigation with an open mindset. Because much of the offending happens over the internet, it's also impossible for Sean to be able to prepare for what he might see in jobs like this, or who the victims might be. But top priority for Sean and his team is always making sure that people get the support and help they need, be that the victims themselves, or even family members of the offenders. What we try and do during our search warrant is say the informant will deal with the offender, build a rapport with him, do as much as they can, just general discussions. Um, and just gathering intelligence for us and just getting an open mindset of what they feel like or what, what they're going through just to help them to talk to us. Then if there's other family members involved, a couple of other members not involved with the offender will separate and they'll basically dedicate themselves and build a rapport with the family and explain everything that's going through them, offer them support services. Um, it just uh, basically explain the search warrant, our procedures, and then um, victim support services and court referrals just to help them out in any situation that we can help them with at that time because when we're dealing with them it's at their worst moment and majority of them don't actually know or I would say 99.9% don't know what their husband son or even daughter um, are doing Um, or even if it's the wife sometimes it could be the wife very rarely yeah in most instances the families impacted by these crimes are completely blindsided so we experience them at their worst moment of their life The trauma caused to the children involved also impacts their families and we offer them all ongoing support and empathy. We also make referrals to various agencies that specialise in providing support to victims and to the partners of the offenders. Sean's boss, Detective Inspector Martin Allison, the unit manager of Jacket, was in the room as we were having our interview and he brought his own perspective on the effects it has to offenders' families. There's no stereotypical child predator except the commonality, the common denominator is that 99.9% of them are men and invariably they commit these offences without the knowledge of their family. So they could very well be married and have their own children and it's the family, the investigators, once they find out what the father or the husband has been up to, it's the family that really need to be cared for and it becomes something that you might need to, as investigators, need to sort of calm people down. Someone who has dealt extensively with families in crisis is family violence counsellor Dr Steve O'Kane. My name is Steve O'Kane. I'm a specialist family violence counsellor at the Family Relationship Centre at Each. I've been in the counselling profession for about 15 years and prior to that I worked in the courts in crisis homelessness. Steve works alongside a family relationship centre at Eastern Access Community Health or EACH in Melbourne's eastern suburbs to help families going through disputes or breakups. I work alongside the mediators. I get referrals from them for people who are distressed about relationships, either before or during or after breakup. I talk to people about things like family violence and parenting orders and those sorts of things. The role also entails some co-facilitation of what they call the parenting orders program, which is a program that the Family Court or now the Federal Circuit Court often tells parents to do and the focus of that training is you can have as much dispute between the two of you as you like 
but there's these great little people over there called children and you really need to start putting their interests first. So it's about educating parents into what is in the child's best interest and what it means to be an effective co-parent, whether you decide to stay in the relationship or not. I actually believe that my role is to deliver the family law access, which is it's in the child's best interest to have a meaningful relationship with both parents where that's possible. And there's a need to protect children from physical and psychological harm and from being subjected to or exposed to neglect or family violence. And so the real issue for people is, well, how do you actually do that? It's about understanding what children really have the right to. They have the right to receive sort of love and guidance and understanding and boundaries from their parents. But of course, that's not always the case. When family dynamics go wrong and children are at risk, it's Steve's job to find out why. There are many reasons why there will be an instance of family violence. For example, it might be that there's a situation where one of the parties has a mental health issue or a drug issue or you know, there's been a disagreement in the household and neither party has the communication skills to resolve that other than pushing and shoving or you know, they've been taught that that's the only way to deal with an issue. So it's important to understand the differences. I've had a lot of experience in working, for example, with angry, violent men. And when I've spent a bit of time with them and talked to them about that, I've asked them where that's come from. And they've often said to me things like, I didn't have a father for most of my life or I, my home environment was, you know, there was lots of abuse and violence and anger and I guess I thought that that's the way that I would cope with things. When I have a problem, I do what I've been taught to do, which is respond with anger and with violence. So it's often understanding that and talking people through what the differences are between their thoughts, you know, which is noticing what you think, their feelings, you know, about how they feel, but then noticing how they behave. If someone is angry towards you and you're feeling hurt and sad, you don't lash out. You actually think about how you might respond. So it's about teaching and educating people about the differences between anger and violence and to give them some tools and techniques to deal with some of those things. From there, it's up to Steve to figure out how to best move forward, to give that person a way out of that behaviour and ultimately find a better way to cope. Every client has, you know, a way forward. It's just that they may not understand what that is. There is a belief around that some men can't change. I've run men's behaviour change programs and I've seen enormous change in some men. But they do have some deficiencies in that the way to work with men is not to alienate them. So you have to engage them in a way that doesn't decry everything that they've learned in the past. So it's definitely okay to call it their behaviour and, and make them accountable. But if I say to you, for example, look, all of the way that you have dealt with your children and your partner, you know, everything that you've told me is wrong, that's the end of the course, then that's a failure. What I need to do is say, okay, well, you've told me you want to change. Would you like some help in being able to change? Do you know what being a good father looks like? Well, no, I had a crappy father. I've got no idea about that. All I know, and this is a response I often get from men, is I just don't want my kids to have the same childhood that I had. Now, that's a very powerful motivator to work with. And you can say, okay, well, perhaps there's some parenting programs around that you would like to engage in that might teach you some good fathering skills. Would you be interested in doing that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I've got no idea about how to be a good father. 
So it's great to challenge on one side, but you have to replace and add something on the other side. It's the same with counselling. For example, in men's behaviour change programs, one particular model is that you go through some stuff each week and they'll give you a handout at the end of the course and they'll say, I want you to do this homework for next week. Now, I've seen people squirm in groups when that's happened. And so I've pulled them aside and had a chat to them and said, what's going on? And they've said, Steve, I can't read. I've never been able to read. Now, you're not going to get a bloke in a group of 20 other blokes admit that they can't read, you know. Often you'll have the same issue when they come to counselling. And so I will sit down with that person and instead of going through all the things that they can't do, I will talk to them and say, wow, I am just so amazed at you. You are just incredible. And I'll say, what are you talking about? Nobody's ever talked to me like this before. And I will say, well, you know, how have you survived all of these years without actually being able to read? There must be something really strong in you that enables you to do that. It sounds like that if you put your mind to doing something, you're the sort of person that can do it. Oh, yes, yes, I definitely am. Okay. Well, you really I've got some stuff here about, you know, how to be a great dad. Would you like to learn that? Yes, I would. That would be really fantastic, you know. And, you know, I noticed that this reading stuff is causing you a problem. Um, I found a, a class that does literacy and, you know, it's not very big and it's one or two people. Would you like to get someone just on the quiet to teach you a little bit more about how to read? Oh, that would be fantastic. You know, so already we're in a, an action-oriented mode. We're not in lamenting what we can't do. We're into trying to solve some of the underlying issues that's led to the violence. And also it's about, you know, improving those communication patterns helping people understand the effect of their behaviour. So that's the kind of work that you can do with people. And Steve says that often the best course of action is removing children from a dangerous situation rather than trying to pretend everything is okay. This is something I often find where they'll leave a family violence situation. The primary concern is the children and not interrupting the children's lives. But the assumption is that you can fix everything and protect them from everything. And the reality of it is the relationship was probably breaking down a very long time before it was formalised. The children were aware of what was going on and could hear the arguments and, and so on. And so you're not actually protecting them by taking that stance. You know, it's about engaging with them and getting a bit of truth telling happening and then working on the specific issues. So I always find those clients quite challenging because every time an issue is opened up, there's another 12 issues, you know. So it's about working with the client to understand which is the most important one to work on first and how you can make the most difference in everyone's lives and also making sure that the client is okay and then they can help their kids. But if they're not okay, they can't. So they're the most challenging clients. They're the ones that are the most rewarding to deal with, but they take a lot of time. The word challenging comes up pretty often in these discussions with people whose job it is to protect children from harm. For Sean, he tries to focus on the positives in order to help protect his own mental health from what he sees on the job. Viewing the um, the material can be quite disturbing depending on what the child's been subjected to, especially um, sexual acts. But you kind of just tend to look past it and um, concentrate on what's positive in the uh, in the future and how, how you can actually get that child away from there. Every job we get takes its toll on you and the team, as we see the worst side of human behaviour, is often involved spending hundreds of hours of, uh, reviewing videos and images of children being sexually abused, which can have lasting effects on you. Having the support of your colleagues is vital. Our health and wellbeing dog champ 
who is uh, part of our team, really benefits our mindset as he helps us to switch focus. We at Jacket have regular meetings with psychologists for our wellbeing services division, which assist us in just venting out what we've experienced. I rely a lot on my colleagues because it's not like it's not a subject you can actually go home to and talk to your wife about, especially if you've got children. You've got to be very like my wife, she doesn't like hearing this type of material. So I kind of vent it out in the office. It is, it's a lot easier because they understand what you're going through and they've got jobs of, of similar nature. So you can just lean on them and say, what's going on with this job? Or can I ha- have some assistance doing with this? I can't deal with this anymore. And then you might have a break. There's been a lot of times where you can like categorise material and the boss has offered us like to go, if you have a, just go and have a break, go for a walk around the park, take champ for a walk. Um, or go to the gym just to have a break so that way you can kind of get your mindset away from what you're looking at Um, and, yeah, then they continue work and fighting through it. Being a counsellor, Steve has encountered his fair share of first responders who need to talk through what they've seen or encountered on the job. I've seen a number of police officers and ambulance officers and uh, people in the legal profession and others and they've come to me and said, I need to talk to somebody. And the police and the uh, ambulance services, they have the best mental health systems in the world, just about. But there's this fear about if I disclose something, you know, that I'm not coping or I can't handle it, someone might feel less of me. So I'll go and talk to somebody outside of that, you know. So and my response to that is, well, look, I'm glad you've talked to somebody. It's wonderful if you feel like you can do that because rather than bottle it up, it's all about getting it out there. And, you know, if you want to be really good at what you do and really functional, you have to be okay, you know, and it's okay to put up your hand and say, look, no idea what I'm doing here. I can't handle this. It's not going well. Please talk to me about it. But Steve has had his own confronting experiences while working as a counsellor and it takes a toll on him too. I've had to sit, for example, with a serial sex offender in a a couple of sessions. And as a parent, everything that that person was saying absolutely churned my stomach. It was horrific. And clearly the person, you know, I I had no sense of shared values or, or anything to do with that person. But they never knew that as a result of the thing. They left those appointments. They had somewhere to go, something to do, and a clear plan about where to go with that, you know. How did I feel about that at the end of it? I probably almost threw up, I think. It was just a shocking experience. But the client never knew that. So this is about offering a professional service, whether you agree with them or disagree with them or or whatever. Um, I always remember there's a very famous American civil rights activist. Uh, her name was Maya Angelou. And she said, I've learned that people will forget what you said and people will forget what you did but people will never forget how you made them feel. And so if you can have every interaction with that client, with the client feeling that they've been heard, that they can trust the other person that they've spoken to and that they've got a direction or a pathway, then you've done your job. I work with some fabulous counsellors. They're very empathic people. It's all about sharing some of those thoughts and feelings and inadequacies, as you would ask a client to do. It's about being real. We're all human. We do not understand and can cope with every situation we face, but we have to acknowledge that and deal with it and actually have a bit of a plan to move forward. We have to learn to share. We have to put up our hand and say, look, I've got no clue. I think what I've noticed in my 15 years of practice is it's really been about having a better understanding of vicarious trauma. You know, if I'm listening to you and your story is sad, 
that's one thing. If I have five people where all of the stories are sad, you know, at the end of the day, I've gone from 10% overload to 100% overload, you know, so I need to manage that. I need to take some time out. For example, I have the utmost respect for magistrates in courts. I've sat in on a family violence day where they might have heard 60 or 70 cases. They've relied on the fact that a couple of people haven't appeared in order to simply cope and get through the court list. Now, every one of those stories is sad. It involves them having to make a decision about denying someone access to their home or their family or because of their behaviour, but they've got five minutes to make that judgement. And the cumulative effect of that on magistrates is significant. And there are a number of other professions who have the same kind of environment. Uh, Counselling is one of them and family mediation is another. And so if you recognise that and you actively manage it, it's okay. But if you don't, you just can't be effective for the next person. If you come in with a sad story, I have to respond to you, but I also have to be fresh for the next client that I see because they're entitled to just as good a service as you had. These are some of the challenges, but I love it. I absolutely love this work. I, I love the engagement with people. I love the support that's around. And I feel like I've done something positive every day when, I, when I'm doing this work. That's what draws me to it. For these people, protecting children is the number one priority. So whether it's protecting them from violence or abuse, their needs should come first. And I guess the main message from my point of view is just remember those little guys called kids. Every childhood only comes once and, you know, you need to make that as positive as possible. So if there's a conflict with the other party, it's not the child's conflict. And, you know, you need to work out a way of respectfully interacting and being a positive co-parent, regardless of what you think of the other person. Um, Our message to parents and guardians is to educate your children about internet safety. It is also vital to familiarise yourselves with what programs, apps and social media platforms your children are using. Ensure you are aware of different privacy settings to set to ensure children are using the internet safely. I'd probably suggest them to um, be aware of what their children are doing, Mm. um, especially online. Have a good rapport with your child so that way if they think there's something wrong or someone's been inappropriate online, they can go up, walk up to them and say, Mum, this is what I've, I've got from my from a chat. I think it's important that the parents know who it is that their child is engaging with. Quite often it's their friendships, it's their friends, so they're friends from school, and then other times it's people who they don't know who may very well be purporting to be somebody that they're not. So we know through... Sean's investigations, particularly, that there are people online who say that their 14-year-old boy or, or a 12-year-old girl and they're engaging with um, your child is equally a 12-year-old girl when, in fact, they're a predator who is grooming that child. So as a parent, just know who your child is engaging with online. And if it's someone they know, great. If it's someone they don't know, then sadly you need to suspect the worst. But even though the job can be challenging sometimes, they all speak about the satisfaction they receive from helping provide people with justice, stability and safety. I think there's a positive and rewarding side of the work. 
just about every day. A recent example was in uh, COVID, I had a client who was located a long way away from central Melbourne. She had two children, was recently separated, left a family violence situation. One of those children had an intellectual disability and she was attempting to homeschool during the COVID crisis. I was actually the only person that she had contact with in a week. And so she was attempting to teach her sons, remain sane, hold down a part-time job, and just generally move on with her life in addition to coping with leaving the relationship she was in. So I was able to work with her, developing her skills, maintaining her stability, if you like. You know, when she felt hopeless or distressed or whatever, she could talk to me about those things in confidence. And I just like to think that I made a bit of a difference in her life. Sean spoke about how abhorrent the material that the investigators, the detectives are exposed to. But uh, without question, the best days in the jacket office are those days where the detectives have removed children from any further harm. So they've recovered them or rescued them and removed them from vulnerable children from any further harm because the whole office just walks on air and I can see it. Everyone is uplifted and um, is, you know, and we remind each other as, you know, well, this is the reason, these are the days that we enjoy the most. And this is the reason why we put up with some of that really abhorrent material that are required to view um, so that we can enjoy and reach those level of reward and satisfaction that those days brings to the lives of those vulnerable children and, and the reward, you know, that brings to the investigators is, is a really special day. First Responders Australian Stories is produced by Crime Stoppers Victoria with the support of the Motorola Solutions Foundation. For further information about Crime Stoppers Victoria, you can visit our website or follow us on Facebook at Crime Stoppers Vic. Stay safe. Till next time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com Let's get this dinner party started.